This movie, total opposite side of the spectrum. It was so freaking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I, I was actually worried for a second because I felt like maybe it was only going to be like a, it was going to be a movie like Troll Two, where the guy set out to make something good, but it just failed horribly. I, I can't tell with this movie. Like, I feel like it could could go either way. To be honest, like I felt like it could either be a guy that was doing something a la Sharknado, like where he intentionally wanted to make something bad. Or it could be somebody that tried to make something amazing and failed horribly. It's hard to tell for me. Opening this week's show was the voice of the MVP of the first-time watchers, Hermano da Silva, discussing the process that he went through in viewing the film Ricky O. This discussion and our reviewing of The Disaster Artist has inspired us to have a conversation about the phenomenon of enjoying bad films ironically. Welcome to Marcus Played, the movie podcast about movie podcasts and the discussions that come from them. I'm Hiro of The True Man's Film Podcast, and joining me is Andrew of Last New Wave and AB Film Review. This town, Greg. They don't want me. Wish we could just make our own movie. That great idea. So there's this guy, Johnny, a true American hero to be played by me. He has it all. Good luck, many friends. And also, maybe Johnny is vampire. We'll see. This set of the alleyway looks exactly like the real alleyway. That's right. Well, why don't we just shoot in the real alleyway? Because it's a real Hollywood movie. No, yeah, sounds good. Okay, action. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. What the f- it doesn't work if you're looking at the camera. And then this beautiful girl. Anything for my princess. She betrayed him. And then this guy, Johnny. He go crazy. Nobody respect my vision. You are a villain. I do this whole movie for you, Greg. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. All right, Andrew, we're so we're back again together to uh, do the dance that is known as Marcus Played. But uh, this time we're talking about films that are watched and enjoyed ironically. Uh, and that is revolving around the discussion about The Disaster Artist, which revolves around the production of The Room, uh, which is a cult hit, cult, has a big cult following. Really not sure why. I don't know if it's mocking the, the production or if it's mocking the film, mocking the person or what goes behind this. But uh, let me ask you this, buddy. Do you, uh, you, we, you've seen The Room, correct? I've seen it a couple of times. I've never seen it with an audience. I've never seen it throwing spoons at the screen. I've never seen it uh, involved with other people. It's always been by myself. And I think that's probably uh, goes against the whole point of the room. I think the whole, you know, everything I've heard people say about it is that you have to sit there and watch it with an audience of people and be able to say, you know, laugh at the film, essentially. Um, And I've never experienced it like that, but I can see that it's, you know, it's enjoyable nonsense, basically. Um, But you're not so keen on it. Why? No. um, So I don't subscribe to the so bad it's good thing unless it's intentional. Like if the if the if like something like say Sharknado or Piranha or um, some of these movies that are intentionally schlocky, intentionally bad, and meant for comedic effect, mm-hmm. then I can tolerate that. 
You know, I can I could sit there and see what they're trying to do, what the intent is. The room is intentionally meant to be a serious movie. Uh, Tommy Wiseau meant to be this launch pad to be a star i guess <laughs> he was gonna be a big hollywood star and well he um, wants he wants to direct a star wars film you know he he's somebody who's bought into his own hype he thinks that he has talent as a director as an actor as a writer you know he believes in himself isn't that what we're all supposed to do as children grow up and believe in ourselves he oh, is the <laughs> he is the epitome of somebody believing in who they are. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't think it's our job as a society to prop up a gigantic failure as some sort of artistic uh, endeavor to, to success. You know, we don't. This is something that uh, I rail on often. I don't believe in giving out the free trophy, you know, in, 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 in the <laughs> soccer leagues. I don't believe that. Either you win or you lose, okay? <laughs> there's, there's no. There's no blue uh, red ribbon for third place and fourth place or whatever get out of here with that no um so i I was watching this disaster artist and i kind of come back to something you said earlier in the conversation where you were talking about uh, you've never seen it with an audience so my crowd for the disaster artist was packed and it was a raucous crowd i mean people were reciting the lines when the room scenes would come up people were cackling at every time James Franco would do his Tommy Wiseau laugh, that ha 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 thing that Tommy Wiseau That's does. That's pretty good. It's impressive. <laughs> because it's simple. It's like, uh, my, and keep in mind, I'm very tame on this one. Uh, we recorded last night on our review of The Zest Artist. My co-host Barry, he literally went on a 15-minute tirade about how this is the downfall of our society. <laughs> <laughs> how this... This is where you see it fall. Forget about Trump. This is how Trump got elected. You know, this is it. This is... Uh... No, I, I I wholeheartedly disagree. I think that the lionization and the, you know, turning films like Sharknado into uh, massive success, you know, or onto Sharknado 5 or whatever it is, uh, you know, even though Geostorm was a huge box office failure, people absolutely enjoyed it because they went and they laughed at it. Uh, I think that's the downfall of society for sure. Um, there's something kind of innocent about the room, though. There, there's something that's naive about it that this guy thinks that he's doing Tennessee Williams, and you know he thinks that he's being deep and and meaningful, and he's just not. And I guess there is a bit of cruelty in the fact that we go and see his film and we laugh at it. But I don't know. Yes. I think that at least he's trying. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, continue on. I interrupted you about that. No, no, by all means. It just, to me, it feels really mean-spirited to to point at this dude and and mock him like this. But And obviously now he's he's embraced it. You know, he travels with the film and he puts it on and does all this stuff. And he's clearly making tons of money off it, I would assume, because it's sell-out crowds every night. But, I mean, why aren't we having Jiggly revivals? Why aren't we having... Yeah, why uh, aren't we having Jiggly revivals? I like that film. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay let me, what about uh congo from 95 what about that why don't we have a revival of that bad boy well i don't know about that one but <laughs> but i i you know the, i enjoy Lee for what it is it's it's it is silly it the dialogue is stupid um but on the same aspect i'm also somebody who will gladly defend mac and me black and blue i i stand up for that film i think it is a good film you know, I, I think it's a really good film. Mac and me tattoo somewhere. 
that's why we uh, you can't see my video because uh, I am it's thirty something degrees in the middle of the night, uh, so I am sitting here topless. Uh, and yes, my Mac and me uh, tattoo is right there on my shoulder. Uh, oh boy, but you can't see it unfortunately. You you have to pay the five dollars to do that. And is that a Patreon yeah. thing? <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but continue, man. Continue. But I. I think that's the thing is that, you know, I enjoy Mac and me because I see things. I'm probably looking into the, the, the story a bit too much uh, and seeing things that just aren't there. And, you know, you brought up Sharknado before and the podcast, which uh, I bring to the conversation today is the Canon, uh, which Amy Nicholson and a guest essentially talks about uh, films in all kinds of different regards. What is film? It's, it's visual images and they're symbolic. It's art. You know, it's, it's, it's symbolic to it. Like, Oh, you should be taking things in. Like what does the framed spoon mean in the, in the, in the, in the picture frame? Maybe that's referencing that we all want more. We want to shovel more into our, and that's art. That's our, you know, our vices. And so maybe that's what that means. You know, maybe, you know, the idea of, Football is talking about, you know, of uh, the brutality of the gridiron. And by having friends play, it's the cut, you know, it's, it's friends that are together, but really against each other. Because, because there is no football scene where someone doesn't get hurt. Yeah. There's three football scenes and people fall down every single time, even if they're playing for 10 seconds. And, and these are the things. It's like football is representing a larger concept. You think that you're just watching a, a poorly directed, uh, idea of like, oh, this is what Americans do. We play football with our friends in the alleyway in tuxedos. No, no. What we're saying is our friends are out to get us. They're going to hurt us. And, you know, we're showing it through the use of football. Everything there, you know, the red dress, is he giving her this red negligee or this dress because she is the, the incarnation of the devil? You know, is it, is it, uh, you know, Again, the forbidden fruit with Denny, the apple, you know, the... The roses, the roses on the soundtrack. You are my rose. Then she's wearing a skirt with roses. And and the and the vices, drugs, liquor. These are the things that bring us to despair. And, you know, when we're on with the roof, these are the moments where we're having our conversations that are closest with God. We're trying to figure out humanity. We're up on top of the world saying, what are women about? What have we learned who are we as a people? And, you know, and when we're inside, it is where it's dark and we are admitting our, 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 the darkness brings out the worst in us, you know, the, the lack of light, the, you know, <laughs> we, we embrace, you know, so there's so much, there's so much to be, to be culled from this movie. And yet I feel like anything we call is probably wrong or bullshit. But is it if we like and I, I like, you know, and that's the, the idea like, well, you know, the purpose of the artist is to make art. But I believe that once the art is out there, it is for us to interpret and and it is accepted in different ways. But I think that that's, you know, I feel like the artist's intention should be to challenge us. We are part of the process. There is no art if there are no people watching the art. It's our interpretation of it that makes it worthwhile. You can't, if there's a tree falls in the woods and you know, if a movie is made and no one sees it, is it a movie? No. Uh, the person that she had on to discuss the room uh, was Paul Shear, who did who does uh, the podcast, which is uh, How Did This Get Made, which is all about bad movies and stuff like that. Who and is one in, of the, in they, the disaster artist as well? Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, Paul sure. Shearer is in the Disaster Artist. He plays uh, one of the like directors or assistant directors on the film. 
Ah, right. Well, there you go. He's got a personal connection to it in some regards. Um, but he, you know, they talk about all the, the, the symbolism in the film, you know, the paintings on the wall, what spoons mean. In the room. Uh, yeah, in the room, in the room. That And I think that, you know, maybe that's what drives people to go and see these bad films. And maybe that's what James Franco saw in it and said, you know what, I see this guy trying and trying to tell this story that he believes in. And he just wants to, you know, achieve what everybody who goes to LA wants to achieve. And that's fame and success. Um, you know, I don't yeah, know. I, see, I, I don't think the film gives us innocence. that. You know, the film and his performance, specifically James Franco's performance. Um, again, refer, I hate to bring my co-host Barry up, but he referred to uh, uh, James Franco's performance as Tommy Wiseau as Frank Caliedo's impersonation. Like that guy should win an Academy Award if just doing an impersonation is what passes as as truth thespian acting. You know, well, that's um, James McAvoy in Split, by the way, who's just impersonating fifty different people, and people think it's it's profound because oh my god, he sounds just like a little child. Oh, oh yeah. that's so deep. No, yeah. it's not. It's just imitating. Yeah, and that's exactly what this is. I, I so there's not a lot of emotion coming through. There's not a lot of anything coming through other than this impersonation, and I don't think that that is something we should prop up as exactly like to me that's the core of the film to me that feels like james franco is part of this crowd that is making funny tommy wiseau and pointing and laughing at him and having a good old time doing it and that's fine if that's your enjoyment or your sense of humor or or what you get your kicks off of that's awesome but i don't think that there is anything of substance in something like that no okay um but what what if what what's their substance in Chucknado or Birdemic or something like that what's what's in those films that isn't in the room so I've never seen Birdemic but I have seen Sharknado and I think that the intent is really important here and uh, I think the intent of those films is to be comedies they're not they're like cheap schlocky comedies with B-list actors and Intent really matters, and particularly the sequels. When you, once you start getting to two and three and all that stuff, the the eye winking at the camera is excessive. It, it's it's so evident that you know that you're laughing with the director, with the filmmaker, and you're not laughing at him. And I think there is a distinct difference there that must be made when uh, when when you're judging something like this. Yeah, I don't know. I for me. I'm more accepting of filmmakers who, you know, they're trying. Like, if a film is bad and I can see that they've actually put some effort into it and, you know, you can at least get an idea of what they were trying to do or what they were trying to attain, then I appreciate that even more. But if they're intentionally like, look, we've got Tara Reid and she's going to punch a shark or something like that, like, that's... I don't know, I... It feels lowest common denominator stuff. It feels I agree. like no, I bathroom agree. humor. It is. No, I agree. It is bathroom humor, but it, that's the intent of it, right? It's They're intending to be dumb humor, and they are executing it, and either you laugh at it or you don't. That comes down to your sensibilities. I think that when we are poking and prodding in something that's intended to be this guy's masterwork of art, this is, the, this is Tommy Wiseau's uh, Citizen Kane then we're pointing at it and laughing at it and throwing spoons at the screen and having a good old time with it. 
um, I feel that it could be a little hurtful, a little disingenuous. I, I just I don't buy into this hipster bullshit of of laughing at things ironically, I guess, um, is where I'm coming from. So, you know, the podcast that I want to talk about is the the, the third time watchers, the first time watchers guys over there. They 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 reviewed a film called Ricky O. Have you ever heard heard of that film? Yeah, this the story of Ricky O. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Hot, hot, steaming garbage. Hot, steaming garbage. But uh, so the MVP of that show, um, Hermano De Silva, the only one worth listening to there, he was saying that he basically espousing the same thing. I was he was concerned when he's watching the film that this is actually intentionally supposed to be a kung fu flick and not ironic comedy or whatever it is. But he settles into the film once he understands that it's meant to be funny. Like that that distinction has to be made there for him for him to really latch on to what is going on to the film. Like if I know that I'm watching, you know, Troll 2 and I know that it's intended for whatever reason, it it changes my perception of the film. Okay, so on the flip side of that, and you know, I, I don't think the story of Rikio is a, a terrible film. I I think it was actually lean in my personal perspective, I thought it was leaning into the absurdity of things. Oh, um, I think so too. Yeah. It, but I think you know, there there seems to be this kind of uh, thrust for people nowadays, especially on film Twitter, and it uh, depends on what circles that you follow, that they latch on to certain kinds of films, mostly kids' films in some regards, like B-Movie or Boss Baby or the Emoji Movie, and you see people checking in and they're going, now watching this, and you're like, why, why are you watching the Emoji Movie again? What are you doing this for? You know, what enjoyment are you getting out of it? And I think that the problem is, is that nowadays there is a, a strong culture of people going to movies and laughing at films. And I do wonder because, you know, The Room was made in 2003 and it kind of, it took a while before it became really popular. Like I, I don't know the first time it really crept in my consciousness, but maybe about six or seven years ago. And okay. I think that from there people... I don't know, people felt like the door had been opened that, okay, it's perfectly fine to go and laugh at a film. And, you know, because everybody's going to laugh at this this very serious-looking film, this this film that this guy, uh, you know, put his uh, hard-earned money into and thinks it is a work of art. And so why can't we laugh at everything else? Why can't we go and laugh at Boss Baby uh, for being stupid? I, I fear that this ridiculing uh, society uh, essentially uh, is what film has turned into. Do you think that's the case? It sounds like you're turning into Barry here. You're, you're turning into the like this is the, the, this behavior is the downfall of our society. It's the downfall of our our love of film, our our, our passionate uh, circle of friends that uh, that that love to go to the cinema, that have movie pass, that. Uh, that engage with film, but uh, it sounds like you're starting to walk that line, man. But it sounds like you're coming over to the dark side of the force with me as well. Oh. <laughs> you know, where, where like I just don't, I don't get ironic viewing. I don't get it either. I enjoy it or I don't, you know. And I, I, I don't find humor in someone else's failure, and that's probably a little disingenuous because I do laugh when somebody trips. I try to help yeah. them up, but I laugh. But I feel that most of the time when I've been criticizing a film. I've not like enjoyed that critical viewing of it. You know, I like, I, I not enjoyed stomping on it or just looking at it negatively. Um, I j- just 
call it like it is. I just didn't have a good time with the film, and that's that. I didn't sit there and laugh and point and and have a a ball with it. I didn't turn it in my mind into a comedy. Okay, so I think the thing is, so there's this certainly, obviously, when we sit out and go and watch films and and sit down to review them, you know, we don't intentionally go out and go like, I can't wait to see this terrible film just so I can shit on it. You know, unless it's Sausage Party, but uh, you don't go out there and and See, I, eagerly... I enjoyed Sausage Party. I hated it. It's one. I know you did. Films. I know you did. <laughs> I, it was. A, you know what it was? It was a date with my wife that we don't get very often because we have kids. That we had beer. We snuck beer into the theater. Very like high alcohol content beer, and we, we were together and we laughed a little bit. And you know, it, I. It, I think the environment saved that film for me. Saved some of those jokes. Some of those really disgusting jokes. Well, that's fair. That's it. Sounded like a, a much more pleasant experience than than my endeavor. Um, but you know, there's this kind of thing where people talk about uh, really bad films, and you know, I've heard it in various different circles. Where you know, if you use a five star rating system, for example, the zero star film is a film that you know you're kind of like, this is absolutely terrible but you really must go and see it you know it's like collateral beauty or the book of henry or something like that you need to go and see it because you have no idea how this film got made especially something like collateral beauty which is yeah, oh yeah. will smith and all those oscar people in it it's amazing that movie yeah. is amazing to me and then and then you have the half a star film which is just like it's bad it's really really bad don't go and see it because you will get absolutely nothing out of it. And I don't have any uh, sort of films off the top of my mind for that field, but it feels like, you know, where the five-star film is like a, you must make a date to go and see this film. It feels equally so that the zero-star film nowadays, at least, is very much like, you know, especially with the Book of Henry, I remember everybody going, I can't believe that the, the director of episode nine, well, at the time made this film and his next film is going to be a star wars film how how is this possible and so it was a date movie in the sense that you had to go and see this film because it was so bonkers i went to i actually when i saw the trailer for book of henry i was very very interested in it because it seemed so off the rails that i wanted to see it i was very curious and also it had uh uh, what's her name from Down Under? Your your girl. What's her name? Yeah, um, Naomi Watts, one of the best Naomi actresses Watts, ever. One of the best actresses ever. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of hers. So I was like, okay, she's in it. I'm, I'll go check it out because I, I do tend to really enjoy her films. And then, you know, the word of mouth started coming out that it was in the room territory, I guess. And uh, I never got up and got my ass to the theater, even though it is free for me. So I just, I punted it. I, I, I and when you're saying the scale that you rate on like if i give a movie a zero which the only movie i think i've ever given a zero is the ricky o movie because because <laughs> that is easily the worst thing i've ever seen but i think the room would probably come close to it i think the room has a couple maybe one or two moments that no it doesn't i'm sorry um so i, I would probably give the room a zero as well but I don't... You you were just about to praise the room. I was you, you're I about to say. something kind to say. I, I'm seeing Tommy Wiseau's face because I have it brought up on my screen. I'm looking at it. I was like, I want to see something kind about this guy. I don't want to point and laugh at him. I want to say his movie succeeded in X. But I can't do that. So I will, you know, just matter-of-factly tell him his movie is a zero to me. And I don't find enjoyment in it. But I don't do it. I don't see it the way you do, I guess. 
I don't think a zero film is something I would say, hey, you got to go see this for just how bad it is. Like you bring up Collateral Beauty. My, that's a mo- movie my mother-in-law was like in love with. She thought it was <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I was like, are you drunk, old lady? I was like, or has senility finally taken over where you don't see how mean-spirited and ugly this movie truly is. You know what they're saying about ma- manipulation and all this stuff. Um, I told my wife, just please don't listen to your to your mom and, and avoid that movie at all costs because it's it's a waste of two hours of your life. There's nothing amusing about it. I don't think that there's an enjoyable thing about it. I mean, for you and I who want to like maybe deconstru- deconstruct the business of film, uh, there might be something in there for you. But I don't see how you could look at Collateral Beauty and say, hey, this is a good use of my two hours. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that that's the thing is that when we're looking at it from a film lover perspective, we forget that there are a whole bunch of people who don't give a shit about Metacritic or reviews or anything like that at all. And so when they turn on Netflix or whatever pay subscription service they've got and they're like oh this film has got Kate Winslet Will Smith and uh, Helen Mirren in it I'll sit down and watch it and how dare you, you know, ignore the great Michael Pena the, the, the oh, yeah, well, true star of the film I try and erase the, the bad films that he's in in my mind uh, because he is such a, a talented person oh, but, okay. you know, you're doing him a favor then <laughs> by yeah, eliminating exactly. him okay got it okay. Yeah. I'm tracking good okay. <laughs> kudos cheers <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they, they sit down and they go, all right, I'll, I'll watch this. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, uh, people outside of uh, film reviewers and stuff like that are a heck of a lot more forgiving than, uh, you know, than, than a lot of people would know. And, I mean, for example, Beauty and the Beast is the highest grossing film around the world uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And it's a steaming pile of mess. And yep, yet, I'm not a fan either. Yeah, but everybody went and saw it. Uh, and sure, it's a little bit different because people have an affection to the songs and stuff like that. But I think that people just don't care about quality. And so I do wonder, leading it back to the disaster artist in some regards, like I wonder how people who have never seen The Room will come to this film and what they'll get from it. What what kind of uh, idea about Hollywood they'll get from this film. Like, oh, yeah. Especially at the moment with all the, you know, sexual harassment stuff going on. I'm not saying there's any sexual harassment in the disaster artist, but it feels like, you know, as you're saying, it feels like they're, they're punching down and they're laughing at somebody, making fun of somebody. Um, so I, I'm curious what people will be like. So it would paint Hollywood this, as this cruel environment, basically. Yeah, I think that, uh, so, God, I, I hate doing it again, but Barry, Barry and I were talking <laughs> about this and that cat was saying that he had never, he's never seen The Room. I think that that fueled a lot of his anger because he doesn't have context. So a lot of the jokes that people in his audience are cackling at, he doesn't have a lot of context to some of the things in here that feel mean-spirited but kind of fall into place within the framework of The Room. I think it helps to have seen The Room, to be honest with you, because I don't think that the Zest artist really has a lot of merit when it comes to telling this um, this believe in your dream story i think it genuinely is a very straightforward biopic style film just depicting the things that happen but it just happens to have this guy tommy wiseau who is a little bit eccentric he's eccentric in his dreams he's eccentric in in the way he talks and behaves and what he thinks is good and bad and us as an audience are just poking fun at him even through the disaster artist i just 
don't find that enjoyable at all. So I think you you got a, a good point there that seeing the room was almost a prerequisite for really truly enjoying the disaster artist. Yeah, which is you know. I'm, I'm sure that they'll probably uh, pair up screenings off it. I know uh, in my local cinema, they, they did a uh, Greg Sestero was out here doing Q and a sessions after both uh, screenings off the room and the disaster artist. So, you know, there was that drive to get uh, people off to go and see it and experience it with, you know, one of the people that was involved in it uh, right there in the audience with you. Um, and I think that's probably the thrill of it as well as you saying, Tommy Wiseau does go around and tour the film so there's a feeling like he's got to make six million dollars back, man. He's got to do it somehow. He's got to make that money back that he buried into this thing. I don't know what his bank account is looking like these days, but uh, he, he is he, rich, he, though. Yeah, you know how rich? I mean, we're talking about Bill Gates rich, or are we talking about you know the guy who sells drugs on the block rich? Or, you know, which one is he? I don't know, but you know, he had the like one of the key things was that he had a billboard out on Sunset Boulevard for two years. And the cost of that is phenomenal. And then he had full page ads in like variety and stuff like that as well. So it's not cheap, but he had all of that. And so he's got money to start off with, which is even more crazy that, you know, somebody with so much money. And and that's the thing as well. He shot the film on what, 30 30 something millimeter and 16 millimeter film or something like that. I think it was at the same time at the same time. So he's got money to burn. He just doesn't have the ingenuity or the understanding of uh, the language of film to make a good film, Um, which I think is probably, I think from my perspective, you know, after suddenly siding with Barry uh, and saying, you know, it's okay, um, you know, to feel sorry for this guy. In some regards, because he does have so much money or this illusion of so much money, it makes it feel easier to kind of laugh down at him in some regards because it's like, well, you're richer than I am and you had the opportunity to make a film and be successful True. and look at what you've managed to do based on this success. It's, uh, was it sometime for Hitler or whatever it was? So it's in the producers, you know, it's the idea of, uh, making intentionally making a really terrible film or in the producers, uh, place, uh, making a terrible play and then it becoming a huge success, which is essentially The Room. Have you ever seen The Producers at all? No, I haven't even seen it, no. But you're aware of, of it? Is it that, it's, it's is, is that thing with Nathan Lane and they had the play and all that sir, stuff? Sir, come on. Mel Brooks, the original. Oh, it's, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, don't know. I was born in a third world country, man. I, I just... <laughs> English is my second language. I'm like Tommy Wiseau. I'm I'm the Tommy Wiseau of podcasting. You know, I, I learned English late in life, and <laughs> I don't get to catch up to all these films. And <laughs> well, exactly. Look, it's a good film, but it, it kind of it, it paints the path for the room in some regards, where it's you know this terrible film became successful uh, just in spite of itself in some regards. So you bring up a good point about it's okay to punch down at him because he has the resources. Like he lives financially above us, but maybe his his output in his film is a little bit below. So we're punching down at him and we don't feel so bad at, about it, right? Because he's not some like struggling artist like Kevin Smith who cashed in all of his credit cards and made clerks on every last nickel that he had or like Robert Rodriguez who who went to the ends of the earth to make this low-budget film at Bariachi, sort of mocking those guys and punching down at them would have almost been sacrilegious. 
you know, because mm-hmm. you're you're picking on a really little guy, but here you're picking on just a a big guy who's weird. Yeah. Did you see the King um, King Arthur movie from this year? No, I refuse. I I don't watch uh, that man's films. Uh, um, Charlie Hunnam, Guy Ritchie. Uh, no, the Guy Ritchie. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, not a fan uh, of his films. No, so you're just banishing Guy Ritchie for for life, huh? Yeah, I did not like uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, and then I gave Snatch a chance, and I really disliked that film, so I swore off the hmm. rest of his films for life. I've got okay. no need. Okay, so interesting for me, I there's a certain style, it's particularly the, that shows up in uh, the Sherlock Holmes films. It's a very hyperkinetic style that when like layered on that story of the King Arthur story, it adds something new. It's something fun that I, I liked. I, I'm not a, the biggest fan of Lockstock either, but but this film really worked for me. And it's been panned, but I don't feel that I'm enjoying it ironically. Like, I genuinely had a good time in the theater. I, I like the film. And I think there's a difference there, right? There's a difference between liking something that maybe others or is critically panned. Like, I like the Transformers movies. Okay, cool. That's your yeah, thing. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not oh, saying I do. I'm not saying. Hold on. Back uh, up. Back I, up I thought I had an ally for a second. There. No, no, no. I was speaking in, the, in like, <laughs> I was removing my body here. Don't try to love me. I will not go down with that shit, my friend. There's no way I go down with that. Um, what a, like, King Arthur's as, as far as I go. Um, sure. But I, I, genuinely, I genuinely liked it. I didn't like it ironically. I liked it. And there's a, a, certainly a difference there, right? I mean, because you say you like the Transformers. So cool. I think it's hot garbage. You know, I will not watch the, the, I will not give money to the last like two or three or whatever it was because the first three were just so, so awful. And I'm, I'm sure I lost a lot of respect from people having said that I've sworn off uh, Guy Ritchie films for life, but quite happily enjoy Transformers films. But I think it's, it's probably different because... It's for different folks when it comes to yeah. your personal taste. But I think that, I don't know, man. I guess I'm, I'm I'm walking a slippery slope here, kind of like drowning myself in this, where I say it sucks to watch something ironically because I mean it's just I guess it's everybody has their own opinion, everybody has their own way of doing things. Yeah, I think that I just I just don't see the benefit in it, and I think then the problem that that comes around is, and you know, this is probably more specifically just a a film Twitter issue where if you mention that you like something and on Twitter or something like that and everybody else hates it, then they immediately assume that either you're a complete moron or you're enjoying it ironically. And, you know, it's, it is possible to enjoy a film just because you think it's a good film. I mean, you were one of the sole defenders of Warcraft last year for some very strange reason, but you, you, decided this is the the hill that you were going to die on and <laughs> you died on it you know you, you were noble and said you know this is the film that i enjoy and that's perfectly fine and you're not wrong because of it like that's the key thing is that everybody's right. uh, film taste is very different and right. i'm not wrong for enjoying transformers or mac and me um i may be a little bit tapped in the head sometimes but you know i'm not wrong for enjoying those films and you're not wrong for enjoying Warcraft. No, there is no wrong way to enjoy a film, essentially. Um, and in that regards, there is a, I don't know, ironically enjoying it is going against exactly what I just said two seconds ago. Yeah. is possibly a wrong way to enjoy films. 
uh, because you're not <laughs> yeah, enjoying you're, it. You're spiraling you're enjoying your it. friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying you're not enjoying it because of what the filmmakers were actually putting forward. Like you enjoy Warcraft and, and King Arthur because of what they're actually doing. Yes. Whereas, and, and same for Transformers and Mac and me. I enjoy those films because of what okay. they're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas with The Room, people are laughing at it because of what it's doing. And they're not enjoying it you know, you know, they're not going along on the ride saying this is actually an entertaining, good film. Right? They're sitting there and they're laughing at it, and you're bullying people, uh, basically. Yeah, you're, and, and the that's same ugly. With Boss Baby or Emoji Movie. Nobody's saying Emoji Movie is a good film, um, but they're sitting there going, "I enjoy it because it's so bad and terrible." Right. And I, I throw that so bad it's good out the window. I don't think that exists at all. I, I, I reject that idea. I, as do I, my friend. As do I. But. Uh, who are we to kind of get in the way of people's fun, even if it is <laughs> picking on the little guy or the big guy or whatever? You know, people are yeah. going to do what they want to do. They're going to throw their spoons and they're going to, you know, cackle. And, you know, as my uh, lesser co-host says, bring the downfall of society upon us by by being dickheads at the theater. So I think that's a, <laughs> that's a good spot for us to go ahead and, and close up shop for today, Andrew. So... Uh, I think that's good. Yeah, I do too, because I'm running out of steam with this shit. All right, man. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to Marcus Played. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe on iTunes or your pod player of choice. And if you want to enjoy something without having to do it ironically, check out the two podcasts that we featured here. And if you can't get enough of us, Check out our shows, The Last New Wave, AB Film Review, and The True Bromance Film Podcast. And as always, head over to followingfilms.com for more from us and some of our Mark Has Played mates. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>